Oh my goodness, we are in Luke chapter 24 today. But before we do that, I want to show you a picture. Um, this, is, this is a painting that was on the wall in my house growing up. And it is a, it's a painting of Jesus. It hung in our living room uh, for, ever since I can remember, probably was there when I was born even. So we just, it just hung there forever. Um, when I was in high school, I invited my boyfriend Mark to come to church. And he thought it was just amazing that he could have a relationship with God. And so he became a follower of Jesus. And back then, that sort of dialogue sometimes happened at this thing we call an altar. It still does sometimes. The altar is such a, such a wonderful, wonderful um, thing that we have here in, in the church. Uh, so for his birthday that year, I went to the uh, Bible bookstore and got this picture, which um, he absolutely loved. And it's um, of Jesus uh, helping this young man through the storms, the storms of life. It was just this week that I connected those two and realized that it's the same Jesus. And not only those two, but this third one, which was also hanging in our house, of Jesus knocking at the heart's door. And it's the same Jesus done by the same um, artist. I was watching Tim, a Tim Mackey talk this week, and he was showing one of these pictures that I hadn't seen for a long time. And I went, hey, that's that same Jesus student. I began cross-referencing the painter is a guy named Warner Salmon. He's a Chicago artist that just had a super profound impact on my growing up years because of these paintings. Um, it's interesting how quickly our perception of who a person is is formed by what we see on the surface. Apparently, even if what we see on the surface is inaccurate, so even though these paintings hold a lot of meaning for me, um, Jesus was probably not uh, light brown haired with European features. He, he kind of, go back to the first one, he kind of looks Swedish to me there, or Norwegian or something. And um, so whatever the meaning it holds for me, um, Jesus was probably not Swedish, but these pictures, this is the Jesus that I saw early on. Kind, gentle, I'm not sure what he's staring at there, maybe, I don't know, a little spacey, a little kind of out there a little bit, um, and just really nice. That was the Jesus that, that was on the wall when I grew up. So we're in the book of Luke. If you want to turn, um, it is one of the most beautiful stories that we have in the whole New Testament, I think. It's full of, like, descriptions and dialogue and drama, disappointment and delight. And it is Luke 24. I'm going to start reading with um, verse 13. And if you would stand for the reading of the gospel, if you are able... Luke 24:13 On that same day two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus about 7 miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. 
they were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? Jesus, really. They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. Got to watch out for those stunning women. They went to the tomb early this morning and, and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they even had seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the woman said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he were going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, The Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke bread. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So we have these two. I, start, I almost said these two guys, but we really don't know that they're guys. We know that one of them, we find out the one of them's name was Cleopas, but the other one could have been Cleopas' sister, Cleopas' wife, another friend, we don't know who the other person was. They were walking along having left Jerusalem. And what's stunning about this story is it takes place on the very day of the resurrection. So these things that they're talking about, this just went down. They are walking on the road to Emmaus. So they're walking west out of Jerusalem. One might guess, I guess, that everything that was happening in Jerusalem was just too much for them. They said very clearly, we had hoped Jesus would be this one. So their disappointment is very much out there. 
their grief and then all the confusion of who are these crazy women coming back from the tomb saying he's alive are they just yanking our emotions around what's going on it appeared to be too much for these two disciples and so they left and we find them out on a country road to the town of Emmaus seven miles which is about a day's walk if you walk fast I guess from um, Emmaus three days after the death of Jesus they were near their destination they were close to Emmaus when Jesus joined them and they were still processing their disappointment so I don't know I just kind of do my math and go they had been processing this for seven hours or thereabouts when was the last time you talked about something for seven hours some of us, some of us that are verbal processors here are like no problem do it all the time <clears throat> it's not unthinkable it's not unthinkable at all to, to talk that much but it does in this story it underscores for us the enormity of their heartbreak so let's just crawl inside their story for a moment as followers they had probably sold most or all of their possessions and given all their energy and all their focus to following Jesus and they believed in his message of redemption when I when I say the word redemption what what comes to your mind besides the movie <laughs> like there's a lot of different things that come to our mind we think of it in different contexts um, I guess you can redeem a coupon if you win something you can go redeem it to get a prize back um, in the church world we usually talk about redemption as being when something dark or sad or tragic gets transformed into something beautiful we call that redemption but for the Israelites and for these two travelers to Emmaus the word redemption had a much deeper meaning we had thought he said we had thought that he would be the one to redeem israel let's think about the context of what they're talking about they had just come from what celebration in uh, jerusalem the passover right and what story gets told at the passover every year the story of the exodus the story of how um god freed the slaves and used moses to basically tromp all over um pharaoh in like this giant game of mother may i no you may not mother may i no you may not and finally the israelites go but that is their story of redemption and that is god's story of redemption and his definition of redemption more than just transforming something into something beautiful it's specifically the buying back of slaves and setting those people free so that is fresh with them that is exactly what they had hoped um, would be going on so if you're at the at the passover and you're celebrating that and you believe Jesus is the Messiah the next natural step then is to believe that this Messiah will do to the 
Romans right exactly what Moses did to Pharaoh that that's what this Jesus story is about and as he marched into uh, Jerusalem uh, just a week before this story on the back of a donkey that's the story they had their hearts around and they were ready to go in and storm the castle and take back their freedom and kill some Romans instead their leader died and the disappointment and the sadness and the fear and the disillusionment was enormous for these people they had had years of sharing the stories of how it would all be worth it and how wonderful it would be. Years of building a story with Jesus. You know, our stories tell us who we are. We all have a story. These candles lit down here on the table. There's a story with each one of those. You have a story. You have, you're made up of many stories, but your life is a story in the relating, in the, in the writing, and so is mine. They tell others who we are. My own kids still love to hear stories about when they were young or stories from their early childhood, and I've got some funny ones, but one of the ones that comes up really often that's probably the most popular for us all is stories from Ben and Hannah's wedding, which was two years ago, right? We thought it was three, but it's two years ago. And so they say, Mom, tell us some stories about Ben and Hannah's wedding. And I could tell them this. The wedding was on May 5th. Family gathered. Sean Matson presided over the ceremony at the top of a sand dune. The wind blew. They said, I do at 2 p.m., 33180 Cape Kawanda Drive, Pacific City, Oregon. But what they want, what they're looking for is this. I'll never forget how everyone brought their own package of joy that weekend. And Shay, I'll never forget the sound of your laughter and Hannah's laughter together as barefoot you went flying down that sand dune with your wedding dresses flapping up in the wind behind you just squealing to the sea and the sand your uncontainable joy and Jay your wild sense of adventure was awesome in taking a dare and collecting $90 from your uncle and cousins for jumping in the ocean at 11 o'clock at night almost giving your mother a heart attack that's the stuff they want to hear those are the stories that make a person that's the stuff that will whisper to them in the night if life ever tells them that they don't belong stories tell us who we are and they tell us who one another is when jesus was telling his listeners who god is he told stories you want to know who god is jesus said Suppose you had a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. You want to know who God is? Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. You want to know who God is? A man had two sons and the younger one said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Jesus told stories to tell God's story. Jesus told stories to tell God. Our stories remind us who we are. And now here are two people alone on the road, believing with all, our, all their hearts in the Jesus that hung on the wall above their stereo. Then, just like that, 
he was dead. The one who they thought would change everything had been defeated, and without his story, they had no story, and they were lost. I read this week about um, a story that uh, theologian Leslie Weatherhead told. And he said that one morning during a bombing in World War II, he went for a walk down a street in London to look at the damage from the night before. He saw a young boy sitting on a pile of debris, and his face was dirty and streaked with tears. So Weatherhead bent down and asked, Son, where are your mother and father? They're dead, sir, the boy replied. He asked about the boy's relatives and friends. They're all dead, sir. Then he asked, Son, who are you? And the boy, looking out toward the pile of rubble that once was his family and home, replied, I'm nobody. With his family gone, his home gone, his friends gone, he couldn't find his story because his context had been destroyed. All the bedtime snacks before brushing teeth, the photo album of family camping trips on the coffee table, the plans for the big family gathering party this Christmas, chatter around the dinner table, plans for college, good morning hugs and kisses. It was all gone. He was alone, without a home, without a family, without a friend, a context, or a story. So what happens to a person when it seems the story has been erased? Well, he might leave the site of destruction and go for a seven-mile walk with a friend to try to make sense of it all. Then in verse 14, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself joins them, but they don't recognize him. Specifically, they were kept from recognizing him. It makes you ask why, doesn't it? What was it that kept them from recognizing him? Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? And Cleopas' response is actually kind of funny. What? How could you not know? Are you the only one in all of creation that doesn't know what's been happening the last few days? He asks Jesus. And Jesus is what's been happening the last few days. <laughs> so how do you read this next thing that Jesus says? I don't know about you, but when he says, don't you know these things? Jesus looks at him and says, what things? <laughs> I don't know if he's swallowing a giggle at the irony of it all, because the things are all absolutely, uh, Jesus is the, is the center of all the things. But he asks him, what things? And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Tell me about these things. Have you noticed that even though Jesus already knows, he wants to hear from you? Have you noticed him asking you what things? Have you noticed when you pray that the story you tell and the story you are is centrally important to Jesus? Frederick Beekner writes this. It's well to remember that the ancient creeds of Christian faith declare 
it, excuse me, it is well to remember what the ancient creeds of Christian faith declare credence in. God of God, light of light, for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, crucified, dead, buried, rose again, sits at the right hand of God, shall come again to judge both the quick and the dead. That is not a theological idea or a religious system. It is a series of largely flesh and blood events that happened, are happening, and will happen in time and space. For better or worse, it is a story. What we believe and what we hold central to our faith certainly includes statements and precepts, commandments and laws, but they are contained in a story, and it's God's story, and Jesus is the plot. So they proceed to inform Jesus the plot of the recent, ha recent happenings in Jerusalem, and Jesus calls out their slow hearts and their blindness as they're walking, and he plunges into an Old Testament overview lessons pretty much through the lens of the cross he explains to them the old testament and the prophets and how it all came together and how it all pointed to him jesus also reveals i think in this section the answer to our question why they couldn't see him wasn't about the sun in their eyes they were they were traveling west it wasn't about um they hadn't cleaned their glasses it was a heart issue. Their hearts were slow to understand because their perception of who Jesus is was still hanging on the wall above their stereo at home. Their picture of Jesus and what he said and what he did led them to believe that he was still in the grave. Well, they invite Jesus in after he travels with them and tells them the Old Testament lesson. And somehow the guest, Jesus, becomes the host. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives thanks, and as he's giving it to them, oh my goodness, you guys, they recognized him. They saw him like, like putting the glasses on. Oh my goodness. As he broke the bread, they saw him, and then he disappeared. So as they are, I'm imagining here, running to the back door and scoping through the backyard to see what in the world, where he went, <laughs> if they could find him, they said this, were not our hearts burning within us as we walked and talked on the road with him? It's a really, really important question they're asking each other. Were not our hearts burning within us? Have you ever felt your heart burning with interest, with anticipation, with knowledge that something you can't really define is happening? As we close, I want to just share with you three sentences that I hope will help you remember this story, this happening and help you remember that your story is precious to him and that your story is enveloped in his story. I'm a fan of one-liners because they help me remember. 
I have them posted in my house and in my journal because I can look at one line and remember a whole paragraph. So here we go. Number one, Jesus does and will show up on the very road you are on. The road of shattered dreams, the road of crippling disappointment, the road of disbelief. It's not so much about learning biblical principles and applying them to my life. It's about God applying me to his life. It's about seeing that your story, my story, is in truth enveloped in his. Death and devastation, in fact, do not have the last word. Jesus is the last word, and his word is forever. And that's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do better next time kind of statement. It is in your story here and now like it is. Your story is eternally valuable. Jesus does and will show up on the very road you're on. Number two, invite Jesus to hang out with you. Jesus showed up on the road with the two walking, but the best stuff happened when they took the initiative or responded to his initiative and let themselves orient around his presence, when they humbled themselves to his words. Invite Jesus to hang out with you. He'll show you why you didn't see him. He'll show you that the fierce and untamable love goes far beyond the nice Jesus or the wacko Jesus that you've had hanging above the stereo all these years. Invite Jesus to hang out with you. And number three, pay attention when your heart burns. A thin space when you're watching fall leaves tumble down the alley in the wind and the sun is shining just right and suddenly for no apparent reason love makes sense and you see clearly and God is your friend. Pay attention when your heart is on fire like that. Or maybe it's a line of a song at church and your heart burns. Or you see something new for a moment as the socially distanced crowd jumps to their feet when a player slides into home base and your heart burns with some kind of wild new awareness. Maybe it's the little popsicle-drenched face and bare toes making rain puddle tracks on the sidewalk as you watch your grandchild play and your heart burns deep inside pay attention god is applying you to his story maybe you hear the word applied in a sermon or a pod podcast and your heart burns pay attention the living one is walking with you and as we get ready to share in the meal together that we get to celebrate every Sunday I would just ask you can you see him do you recognize him he invites one and all to this table that pastor Regina will lead us in now where his story is told and our stories are redeemed and we remember that we are not alone on this road we walk. Amen.